This is an interview with Professor Diana Liverman, who's the director of the Environmental Change Institute. So Diana, can you tell me a bit about what have been the main focus of your research careers to date? Um, well, I think if you encapsulated what I work on, it's the human dimensions of global environmental change. And in the first part of my career, I was concerned with how natural disasters affected societies around the world, particularly drought and how it affected rural farmers. And that led me into an interest in climate change and global warming and how that might affect rural societies. So I've done a lot of work on how drought and other um, aspects of climate affect far poor farmers in rural Mexico and I became particularly associated with the development of the idea of vulnerability that it's actually the context in which farmers farm the political the politics the economics the technologies that make some farmers more vulnerable to climate change than others and then in the later part the last few years I've become interested in climate policy and how the response to climate change is affecting um, different parts of the world. So I've become interested in things like carbon offsetting, carbon project development, and how they affect poor people. And then I suppose one other area that I've been very interested in is how overall changes in approaches to environmental policy, particularly neoliberalism, um, have um, affected the way in which the environment is managed. So um, that would be research in particularly environmental governance and again with a particular focus on Latin America. You mentioned Latin America and I know you've worked in a number of countries including the UK and America and in particular Latin America. Can you tell me a bit about who's influenced your career and who's been mentor, your sort of mentors and role models throughout your time? Um, well, probably the person who's had the biggest direct impact on my career was Steve Schneider, who was my PhD advisor. Um, he co-supervised my PhD at the National Centre for Atmospheric Research. And Steve was one of the earliest scientists to write about global warming. And he's very interdisciplinary. And he got me interested in looking at climate change and food security in the world food system. And he's also been the person who suggested me for various committees earlier in my career, which opened up all sorts of doors for me. And he's still a mentor. He's still someone I talk to. He's doing a lot of work on um, sort of economics of climate change and um, how ecosystems are responding to climate change. So he'd be one. Um, another would be Gilbert White, who was a professor at the University of Colorado, who um, is a geographer and his expertise was on natural hazards. And I've always considered him a role model because he was someone who was able to move between um, academia and public policy. And he had a big influence on public policy in the US, both uh, in terms of international environmental issues and hazard policy within the US. And because I did my graduate work and had my career in the US, those two um, really um, influenced me. And I suppose the one other person um, would be Barbara Ward, who um, was someone I knew as a child, and she was one of the people that organized the first Stockholm Conference on the Environment um, in 1972. And she happened to be living in um, Ghana, which was where I was born. And um, I got, got to know her later as a friend of my parents, but um, she then started the International Institute for Environment and Development. And I've always admired you know, her commitment to sort of environment development. She's no longer alive, but um, you know, she might be considered one of my female role models. That's cool. Now, I know a lot of your time is spent 
directing the Environmental Change Institute, but you're also actively involved in research yourself. Can you tell me a bit about some of your personal research projects? Uh, well, at the moment, um, one big area for my personal research is through my role in the Tyndall Centre for Climate Change. And I coordinate the um, Oxford node of the Tyndall Centre. And um, there we've got a particular research focus on looking at non-nation state actors and how they're responding to climate change. So we've been looking at cities, corporations and um, carbon offsetting companies and looking at what they're doing to respond to climate change, how much of an effect it's actually happening, how much greenhouse gases they're reducing, um, what are the ways in which their activities are being governed and regulated, um, and what are some of the barriers to them doing more. So that's one big area, is looking at the governance of climate change and the role of um, non-nation state actors. The second area that I'm particularly interested in at the moment is the question of adaptation to climate change. And ECI, of, co of course, has got a big focus on adaptation because we host the UK Climate Impacts Programme that's trying to help the UK adapt to climate change. But I'm working mainly in Latin America and mainly through some of my students and postdocs um, to try to understand how different sectors in Latin America might um, be able to adapt to um, the risks of global warming. You've called yourself a political ecologist. Can you tell me how political ecology helps us to understand vulnerability to climate change? Um, well, political ecology, I think, encapsulates my work quite well because I've always been interested in the political economy of the environment, which is the sort of structural context for the human interaction with the environment. So it's the way in which... Um, sort of big structures like land tenure, markets, um, government regulation, um, all of those sort of contextual factors um, sort of constrain the way people can interact with the environment. So I see political ecology as combining that sort of political economy, understanding the structural constraints to what people can do with individual actions. I don't believe that people's lives are completely determined. I believe they have choice within constraints. So political ecology has that political economy interacting with individual behaviour and agency, but also with material nature, with the real sort of environment out there. And um, the way in which that both sort of gives opportunities and constraints for what people can do. So political ecology for me is the interaction between political economy, say the carbon market, individual agency, which might be some individual farmer, and nature, which would be the physical climate or the soils or whatever. And it's a very good framework to make sure that you pay attention to all three of those and how they interact in trying to understand sort of... Um, environmental management policy. You've been closely involved with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and currently sit or have sat in the past on several international research committees. What do you see as the challenges facing the climate change research community? Um, well, I've got a couple of recent articles which review the latest IPCC reports. And the first article uh, looks at IPCC Working Group 1 at climate science, which not is not my expertise, but I wanted to look to see what it would tell those of us that are trying to understand climate impacts and responses. And one of the challenges 
there, I believe, is that although they're now convinced that global warming is happening and they can give us some fairly reasonable global assessments, they're still unable to provide us with regional projections that would be, for example, reliable um, indicators of whether we should be adapting to drier or wetter conditions. So I think one of the big challenges is, if at all possible, is the sort of downscaling of the climate models, which I think is a big challenge. In the impacts area, the article I wrote is actually quite critical of Working Group 2, which is the group working on climate impacts. And I'm critical because so much of the Working Group 2 report is somewhat anecdotal. It's a lot of case studies, and we don't seem to be able to organise ourselves to do sort of large-scale comparative studies that would tell us sort of more generalizable insights into um, climate impacts or climate responses or under what conditions offsetting works or it doesn't or under what conditions vulnerability can be reduced or not. And I also think there are sectors that we've almost completely ignored. So we've done very little work on climate impacts on the business sector, for example. And another area um, which comes out of my involvement in the international programme on global change in food systems is that the most of the work on climate impacts on agriculture just focuses on crop yields and it doesn't really look at food systems. It doesn't look at all the other ways in which climate can affect distribution of food, uh, processing of food and consumption of food. So that's another big area which I think is important to look at. When talking about your research, you mentioned your doctoral students. Can you tell me a bit more about your doctoral students and what topics they're working on? Um, well, I have a few too many at the moment. I've inherited some from people who've left Oxford, but they are a wonderful group. Uh, most of them are working in Latin America because I see that as the sort of area in which I've got the expertise to supervise. And I've got a group that's working on adaptation to climate change and a group that's working on mitigation. Um, so, for example, um, Juan Carlos Arredondo and Arnaldo Matus Kramer are both looking at adaptation to climate change in Mexico. Arnaldo's looking at the tourist industry in the Yucatan Peninsula and how they might adapt, particularly to the hurricane risk. And Juan Carlos is looking at how business might adapt to climate change in Western Mexico. Um, and then um, I do have people working on adaptation beyond Latin America. So Natasha Karupus just spent a year living in Kiribati, a small island in the Pacific, trying to look at how their water resource systems might cope with climate change. And in fact, there they're already feeling the effects of climate change. Um, in terms of mitigation, I've got people looking at carbon offsetting, both through Kyoto, the clean development mechanism, and then also um, voluntary offsets. So Adam Bumpus is looking at um, under what conditions voluntary offsetting works, um, looking at Honduras. Um, and then I have several people looking at the CDM who I'm co-supervising. So John Cole is looking at the clean development mechanism in Brazil. Um, Chris Elliman is looking at the CDM in China. And then I have a few people I'm co-supervising who are looking at the role of forests in reducing carbon. Um, Joel Scriven is going to be working in Peru and Caroline Schmidt is um, working in Brazil. Now I've got too many so I know I've forgotten um, some of them. Um, I've had a couple of people who are just finishing up um, so those would be Arme Castillo, who worked on water governance in Mexico, um, and Bernardo Paredo, who's been looking at poverty and um, 
uh, sort of environmental markets in Bolivia. Um, and I think that's everybody, but I know I've forgotten someone. But that gi- that gives the sort of example of the range of people that I'm either supervising or co-supervising. And those are all PhD students. I do also supervise a couple of masters each year. So this year, together with um, Heike Schroeder and Jimin Zhao, who are um, research fellows in ECI, um, we're co-supervising a group of MSc students that are looking at cities around the world and what they're doing to reduce um, carbon emissions. And so that's a big comparative study where we've got people looking at Beijing and Melbourne and London and what they're doing about climate change. And what are some of your former postgraduates doing now? Um, well, they've gone off into quite a few different areas. Um, of course, several of the DPhil students went on uh, into academic positions. So um, examples of that would be Karen O'Brien is now a professor at the University of Oslo. And she um, work, does work very similar to me. She's done um, a lot of work on uh, vulnerability to climate change. And she now runs the um, international program on um, climate change and human security. Um, David Rain is a professor at um, George Washington University in the US and he has done a lot of work on migrant responses to drought in Africa but now he does a lot of work on GIS and demography um, with less work on the environment. But then I have people working outside academia. Um, Max Dilley, who did his PhD with me, um, has had a number of positions internationally in disaster relief. So he worked in um, World Bank, and now he works for UNDP as one of their disaster um, coordination experts looking at um, vulnerability. Um, In terms of, those are all students that studied with me in the US. Um, Hallie Aiken is um, a uh, faculty member in the Western US. She does a lot on vulnerability to climate change as well. Um, my Oxford students, Ben Champion, who was the first person to do a PhD with me here, is now uh, on the faculty in geography at Kansas State, but he's also running a university-wide sustainability program trying to green the university. So um, he's doing very well. Okay, and finally, can you tell me about how your research is relevant to the international climate negotiations that are occurring between Bali last year and Copenhagen next year? Um, Well, our Tyndall project and the work I've been doing with the James Martin 21st Century School Fellows, who are a group of independent fellows here, we've been quite focused on the international climate negotiations. And I think my work and um, those of others of ECI is focusing on a few main areas. So one area is the reform of the clean development mechanism to make it contribute um, more to sustainable development and Um, to be more additional in terms of getting greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, make sure more greenhouse gases are taken out of the atmosphere. So we've written a few reports and articles about reforming the CDM. Um, The second area would be um, the negotiations about forest carbon, the red negotiations on um, reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation. And together with um, Yedvind Mali, we've been very interested in the science that's needed to make that deal work um, to give uh, pay uh, countries for protecting um, their forests. Um, And then the third area would be um, the whole question of adaptation to climate change. And um, there's several issues there. There's the importance of actually setting up a fund for adaptation, which at the moment is 
very little money. So how could we generate the funds for adaptation? Would it be through an airline levy? Um, should it be through a tax on all carbon trading? Um, but then there's the question of who gets that money and, um, you know, will it be the most vulnerable? Do you have to show that it's global warming that's affected you? There's a lot of issues there around adaptation that I'd hope to um, contribute to. And then finally, um, probably the most exciting recent development is the um, Global Environmental Change and Food Systems Project that's based here in ECI, GCAFs, um, where I work with, um, I chair the Science Advisory Committee and at ECI we've got the sort of core staff, which is John Ingram and Polly Erickson. And we've been working quite hard over the last few years um, to make contacts with the really big stakeholders in the food arena and um, that includes for example the UNFAO the Food and Agriculture Organization but we were also working with something called the CGIR which is the um, group of international agricultural research institutions around the world in the tropics there's about 15 of them and we've just heard that um, they have uh, decided to make a proposal that we wrote together with um, colleagues around the world um, the focus of research over the next few years and that will be to look at how we can adapt global food systems to climate change and given that we're starting to see big rises in food prices not because of climate change but for other reasons um, but climate change does potentially play a role getting that program off the ground will be very exciting to see if we can in fact help uh, reduce the vulnerability of the poor of the world to climate change. Thank you very much.